Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Arts Advocacy Day is a sight to behold. 85 leading national arts organizations and over 450 attendees from 48 different states roam the halls of Congress, meeting with legislators and staff to discuss policy issues affecting the arts community. Live from the Capitol, Brownstein advisor and former Senator Mark Bagich moderates a conversation with four distinguished attendees discussing the connection between arts and the economy and the importance of inspiring arts advocacy in the nation's youth. Welcome back to another Brownstein podcast. I'm David Reed, a senior policy advisor here at Brownstein. Today is Arts Advocacy Day on Capitol Hill, and I'm here with an important organization that Brownstein partners with, Americans for the Arts, the nation's leading nonprofit organization for the advancement of the arts in the United States. I'm excited to announce our guests today, artists Ben Folds, Rita Moreno, and Brian Stokes Mitchell, and Americans for the Arts President and CEO Bob Lynch, all of whom are here today meeting with members of Congress and senators to advocate for issues of importance to the arts community. With that, I'll turn it over to our moderator, strategic consulting advisor for Brownstein, and former Alaska Senator Mark Begich. Thanks, David. Uh, thank you all for joining today. It's a great day to be out here on uh, Arts Advocacy Day. Uh, it's an opportunity, hopefully, for congressional leaders to learn more about what you all do, but also the impact it has in the community. So thank you all for being here. First, I, I guess I want to uh, start to, with uh, what is Arts Advocacy Day? And I'll start with Ben. Maybe you could tell us what it's like to be walking around the halls of Congress and uh, explain to them what art is about and the impact it has. Well, I mean, it's it's scary. Um, not not uh, not many of of our peers do it, and I think more should. But it's um, uh, you know it's, it's important for uh, I think artists to go out and uh, and 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 help uh, cheerlead and, and and illuminate the importance of uh, of arts and uh, in the economy and and education. Uh, not just you know not just the fact that we've been very lucky to be successful uh, at it, but but you do realize the importance of uh, of art and the way we think and the way society works is important. Rita, how, how do you think people are receiving you when you see a, a, a legislator, a congressperson, or a senator? What's the feel, and, or staffers? Because staffers depend- are very important. It depends important. on the legislator. I, Chuck. Uh... <laughs> Senator Chuck, as I call yeah, him, humor. Yep. He, was, he was wonderful, actually. He was very friendly. He was charming. But he wouldn't let me talk to him about uh, raising the <laughs> funding for <laughs> And I, I'm not sure that that wasn't deliberate in some way. He's probably, but that's one of your issues, right? Increased funding, right? And yes, that's very important. That's a key thing, at least for me, it is. We all have different things that we emphasize. He was so busy singing West Side Story. It was hilarious, really. You know, he has on his phone, he has... Hundreds of songs, hundreds, many thousands. Let me tell you something. He knows the lyrics. Yes, yes, he does. Son of a gun. (laughs) Anyway, so it depends. And again, Steny Hoyer was sensational. He was fabulous. You know, these are people who really, those two people we've mentioned were very receptive to the arts. Not only receptive, but they're very supportive. Brian, you were telling me earlier before we started, you, I could call you Stokes. Okay, I was very that's impressed right, that yeah. I could use that. That's uh, what I prefer, so, yes, thank um, you. Part of your message here has been on tax reform, or at least explain charitable contributions, but also how important that is for the arts. And so, again, same question, I guess, but with a little more twist, and that is how do you think legislators, congressional people are 
sensing or feeling when you bring up those kinds of issues. Anytime you bring up money, they get it's, you know they get nervous. Yeah, and that's that's all we're doing today. Right, right? That's right. all anybody does, I guess. Any that's day, why correct. that is why it's scary. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah, and it, and it's it's true, Ben. I think because we're kind of out of our wheelhouse a little bit. We feel like you know we're not on stage performing, doing what we do best. We're kind of in another camp, speaking the the language of that camp or trying to to speak that language. But it's very important, as you said, um, to to be able to do that because this is our opportunity to speak for other artists and other people that don't have the opportunity to come to Capitol Hill. And for Hill. those who don't get the benefit of, of the uh, arts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and their, their voice may be heard through a, a vote, but it's different to be able to show up and then actually be uh, uh, a voice in the ear of the people that are making those kinds of decisions. Um, the, the charitable deductions, uh, that's one of the things. I mean, all, all of these are, are very oh, wow. important issues, uh, obviously, to, to me and I think all artists. But a charitable deductions, particularly because the, of the tax law and it was changed so much, um, one of the issues a lot of uh, Nonprofits, a lot of different organizations are having, but I think it hits particularly hard and will hit harder the nonprofits is. Um What's happening with charitable deductions? I think you have to have like a twenty-five thousand dollars. You have to make that in deductions, which most people don't. The people that just are able to contribute five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, um, you know, you multiply that by millions of people sometimes, and that amounts to a lot. But uh, for for people that now are going to find out, I think there was a two or four percent decrease in in giving um, this uh, particular year, and I think it's going to be much worse once people get through this tax year and find out how hard they're really getting hit. And I think people, uh, it was easier for them to be very uh, generous um, because they thought, oh, well, we're, we're fine. But when they now, feel safe. Yes. Now, when April comes along and we really see the impact of, of, of what's happening with the taxes, I think next year is really when it's going to hit us. And I think we need to, to, to take a look at that. And you're making that case as you talk to individuals that this is something that has to be reexamined in order to have that long-term benefit to the arts, that contributing charitable giving is an important part. Yes, exactly. Because you 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 lose those those givers, then and you lose those organizations lose much needed revenue. You know that that, that they're expecting to come in. I would say you know we're joined also by Bob Lynch, who's the CEO of the Americans for the Arts. And you know, Bob, you you have a, an incredible challenge. You got to think of all the policy. You have to corral artists, and you have to then make sure once they leave the day on the hill, that information continues to flow to the staffs and to the members that are there because there's always follow-up, right? People are calling after the artist's visit that what did they mean by this or the leave-behinds, the documents that you leave. Tell, tell me kind of what that experience is because I think people need to realize even though it's an arts advocacy day, it's really every day. Absolutely. And uh, what I've learned over the years is that you never actually corral artists. <laughs> you, uh, you, you work with artists. They're like and, politicians. Uh, but what's wonderful um, is that the artists bring a perspective and some clarity, as you just heard from Stokes, uh, on a very, very complex issue. And so, but we also have that with all of our advocates. So we have at this advocacy day, which is um, you know, we've been doing it over 30 years, and we have about 500 people from all parts of the country. For them, we do uh, all day, uh, the day before Advocacy Day, a training session that allows them to digest these issues. And one of the, one of the things about these issues is that we actually have uh, a, you know, papers that we hand out that right. have nine different areas of policy legislation with 26 specific asks. 
So you have to um, be clear about who you're asking something from because um, the person you ask about tax is not necessarily the person you're asking about the National Endowment for the Arts Appropriation or health and wellness or arts in the military. And so we try to target, make it very specific, train, train the folks, and then um, find ways to make it simple, fast, and specific. Do you think, to, to the artists here, that um, to Banerita and Stokes, do you think that people understand in the, as you're meeting with staff members and congressional people, they understand the connection between the arts and the economy, that they're directly related, that one can feed the other as back and forth. Do I don't you think? think people are. Yeah. I don't think people are. I think, I think we need to uh, create some kind of program that truly elucidates to them what that really means, economy and the arts. Yeah, I know when I was former mayor, we, we had a performing arts center, and we tried to make sure every single day there was something, act, activity there. Why? Because the restaurants then fed off of that. The activities fed off of that. People shopped downtown. They stayed downtown. They went to dinner. It was a multiple uh, ripple effect. Is that something that needs more information, you think? And that you Absolutely. Think even the, the, uh, the role of the NEA is widely misunderstood out in the middle of the country, out in the whole country. They see these controversial moments. Yeah, I mean, they I go, think that must be it. It's, it's really not. easy for someone to jump to a lot of conclusions, one of them being that, oh, well, the government's going to pay for art and they're going to tell you what to do with it. When, when, when actually, I find myself assuring people constantly that it's a... It's the arts are a cold, hard capitalist endeavor. Mm-hmm. It's like it's absolutely it's what fixed this part of town here with the old theater, with everything that's yep. built up around it now. It's what uh, uh, it's what brings you your advertising. It's what creates interest. All this. So people know that inherently, but there are hot buttons politically that that divide people immediately, and they feel like uh, oh, I want the government to get between me and my uh, my B flat, you know. Right. <laughs> but but you, as a musician, you know you you can. See this uh, by by touring every little town all over the country. Mm-hmm. You can see what the general misunderstandings are. And I find people are really receptive if I come to them as a small business owner and not a musician, because there's been such a kind of a hit job on artists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're not supposed to know what we're talking about, but we've run businesses right. our whole lives, and we have to balance a checkbook. And you're an entrepreneur. And you know what's interesting because I'm looking at some data here. And it says attendees at nonprofit arts events spend thirty-one forty-seven. These are dollars per person per event. Then there's the babysitting. There's meals. There's yeah. parking. Uh, valuable commerce for local businesses. Thirty-four percent of attendees live outside the county in which the arts event takes place. So they average forty-seven dollars and fifty-seven cents. I mean, it, yes, it it's does. Real, it's abso- real spending. Absolutely. So that data comes from our. Uh, economic impact study that right. we do every four do. years that we do uh, we, we have um, uh, uh, Georgia Tech does mm-hmm. it for us in that particular case so the data is compelling as you're just saying that uh, out of county is tourism and those people spend more and stay longer in places the data is compelling there's an even bigger study that the government itself does that puts the for-profit industry those figures are from the nonprofit industry. So our big job, after doing all the work of getting the data, though, is translating it so that a congressperson or a mayor can gets it. it in front of them and can absorb it. And we have to do it starting from scratch, almost with, definitely with every new elected official, but almost every year you've got to start over because they forget, oh, yeah, there was all that economic impact. There, there's great you know, stories I know each one of you probably have of how you've seen 
not only the arts impact a community economically, but also how it impacts people. So you think of this impact, and, and I, I don't know if you, any one of you want to share a story, but I, I think people don't understand not only the economics, but the impact it can have in a neighborhood or in a person and what it can do to change somebody or change a system in a way. Any comments? I was, uh, you know, just got a, a wonderful tour of the Department of Justice. And uh, have you ever been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you haven't been there. Not in a negative way, but yeah, I right. mean, you well, know. Well, me neither. I wasn't... Uh, <laughs> I wasn't in any kind of musician trouble. Um, no, but the the uh, the walls are lined with art. Like it's actually, and 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 they're lined with art that tells a story. And and uh, you know sometimes we forget that art is is primarily there to communicate. It probably uh, you know the the metaphors in art probably predate language itself. That's the most effective way to get a point across is that. And it's interesting to me how much was put into the Department of Justice in order to spell out, whether you agree with it or not, spell out, you know, the rule of law, the reason for law, the history of law. Mm -hmm. And it's all out in art. And it's amazing. It's a great way to do it. It's interesting to me that so many other uh, government buildings don't have that. Right. Stokes, you were going to say something. Well, I mean, there's so many things to say. This this conversation <laughs> alone could be, you know, five days long. But I, because one of the things, my observations as well is no matter where you go, I, I'm always struck kind of by the beauty of the art. Yeah. Um, even in a stark building, there's art every place you look. Right. And and I think people sometimes miss that and miss the importance of, of, of what an artist exactly does. And that's in response to the very first question you asked, you know, I think that's one of the stumbling blocks that we sometimes have when we're talking to some people, not not uh, all the uh, senators or congressmen or congresswomen, many of them understand it, but um, they don't understand that something like the carpet you're on was created by uh, an artist. The weave, the design of that, the lamps around the room, the mirror, the sconces, the chandelier, the, that's, that's also the work of artists. And I think people forget that that each of those employs different craftspeople as well um, as the artists. Or artists. But you know what? Yes. So often people are not, those people are not perceived as artists. Right. Yes. I mean, that's a graffiti person, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a graffiti person. I, I see a lot of that in uh, downtown areas and uh, L.A. specifically, lots and lots of stuff. And oh, oh, recently I found to my absolute astonishment that I was one of those on a wall, on somebody's hmm. wall in New York City. Is that crazy? Wow. It was a wonderful picture. They you took a picture. <laughs> yeah. It was a photo that I happen to love that I own, putting on eye makeup many years ago when I was much younger. And it's there in huge dimensions next to uh, the door of a building. Wow. It, it, it is amazing. And I think, you know, from as you were all walking the halls here, talking to people and, and explaining art, one of the things that does come up in my, my mind is... You know, and you said it a little bit earlier, Ben, and sometimes the artists, and I watch it when people are testifying. And I remember when I was in the Senate, some people would say, well, what do they know, right? They, they're just artists. But actually, everyone has their own specialty and knowledge. And so you're engaging in something that's kind of not in your arena, right? You're doing a little politicking. So how does that, how does that one feel? But does it, is it uncomfortable, or do you think more artists need to do this even though it may, as you stand out on issues, or like your funding, 
you may alienate some of the people who are your fans. Well, I don't think that um, music itself uh, is, or the, the uh, artist and the art is, is really alienating in itself. I mean, I kind of think the, the, the backwards of it, I, I've noticed a lot of people sing at my shows in three-part harmonies and stuff. Some of the stuff is kind of intricate, which actually happened uh, right after 9-11. People just started wanting to sing. And I'd be playing a song, and I would hear a choir, like three parts and counterpoint, seriously good stuff, and realize it was people's need to actually sing. To express themselves. Now, since then, I've made sure that I cultivate that some. I'll tell you one way to stop three-part harmony is to mention anything about politics. <laughs> and suddenly people <laughs> don't sing together. Things, you just so. stop You just stop that the harmony dead. And, you know, like politicians, we you know, should use words like in concert and and, uh, and and harmony and things like that. But it's interesting how quickly it can be stopped uh, as, as well. But I don't feel that I think that most musicians and artists should do this and should try to we're not used to having to hone our, our message like, like you are. That's and, what's difficult. Yeah, That's and it's a hard for us to point. do it. Yeah, it's hard for us to do. I've found over the years that the artists are the ones that attract the biggest audience. Um, if we want to get the full committee there. That's right. You have artists and, uh, and, and then, the, you know, you might have additional people who have more specific data. Right. And then uh, uh, the artists can bring data, but also passion and also fame. Well, to Bob, the I think you told me a wonderful story without naming names, not necessary, about bringing in some, was a country and Western, uh, a couple of country and Western people who were adored and loved by this particular, was it a, a Senate, senator? I don't mind mentioning names. Oh, it, okay. was, it was uh, Newt Gingrich. Oh, sure. uh-huh. And yeah. when we were battling uh, the cut to the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, the elimination, the last time, yeah, 25, he, was on, yeah. he, he, he had his contract <laughs> with America, and we couldn't get to him. We couldn't get an appointment with him until we brought one of his favorite artists, Garth Brooks. Oh, yeah. And Garth Brooks, um, in the conversation with him, was able to get him to back off not back down he but still won, but bit. soften and that allowed other members of the house to uh, to vote and not be punished for it and we had a number of uh, House members cross over in what their opinions were, and we got what we needed. That for is them. fascinating, but my goodness, you really have to be clever. You also have to be sly. That was very sly of you. I love it. <laughs> she means that in a very positive way. In a very positive way. <laughs> I think Absolutely. slyness is important. Yeah. But you, you have to. You have to find what I've learned when people, when I was in the Senate and when I was mayor, when people came to me, it was you got to, the people who are coming, the best presentations was get where they are. I think the best advocacy is that, getting where they're at, find where their point is. And you did that successfully, and it's not always winning the person over. It's sometimes just soften up. And an artist, you know, finding an artist that's willing to kind of step into that political arena is not the comfort zone, but critical because of what you just said. It draws the attention. Well, I think it's at its best, like... You know, watching Rita speak today, uh, just being honest, you know, because because artists really you you don't you know, an artist can be a dishonest person, but in your art, you have to be honest. Yeah, there's no filter. It has to art is inherently honest because it's about it's authentic because it's about feeling. So if you're expressing something that you don't believe it just doesn't it doesn't feel right to you it doesn't feel right to the audience so i think artists are are good at that and the other thing is like it's a scatter it's kind of a, a it's a it's a matter of certain things work sometimes by luck and scatter shot it's scatter shot for sure because there's yeah. so many issues and we get excited about them there's there's the issue of of music and and, and art education right 
That's one thing. Then there's arts and the economy. That's another. And it's the way arts make you feel. And then there's making a living as an artist. And we can get very conflated about those. There's so many things to try. To, we get excited right. to try to tell an audience. And, well, you know, we were talking today about that core of, of artist idea where uh, artists go out, you know, kind of New Deal style and, mm-hmm. and, and help. You know, I would love to see something like that because we would all be given our strength. What is that? Explain that. You know, I kind of had a smaller version of this idea, which is to leverage like all all of the you know, all the uh, universities have acapella groups, That's yeah. right. and they don't get credits for this. And they're excitable kids, and they're musical. Use them as foot soldiers, because basically what we're trying to do is turn turn heads around a little bit and make the public understand. So use not just the famous artists, but use you know use a core of artists to go out and actually do some. I don't want to call it propaganda, but it's kind of you know do some proper Explain advertising. Yeah explain to people what's important about art and it takes more than one sentence you know and it, it would take uh it, you know it would it would take an army so you were going to say something yeah well, i think one of the things that keeps coming up is the is the concept of of collaboration and um for me one of the things i i think is most valuable about the arts is uh, its collaborative nature and no matter what you're doing, no matter what level you're doing it on, it's very, very collaborative. When I do a Broadway show, I'm amazed all the time that you have all of these disparate people from these disparate disciplines. And if any one of them... You're describing up, Congress. You understand uh, that. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, that's, I mean, really, that's kind of to my point, yeah. because it's really... We're talking about how divisive or divisive, whichever way you want to pronounce that word, our society is right now. And what is going to put that back together is a sense of collaboration. And one of the few places that people get that and the sense of, of, of a similar kind of, we're all in the same tribe, is when you go to a concert, when you go to the theater, when you go to a museum and you, and you look at a painting and you have the same reaction and you don't know if the person having the same reaction next to you is a Democrat or Republican or if they even speak your same language. Right. But all of a sudden you do speak the same language and there's, a, there's that collaboration that's very, very important. And frankly, I think that's where the, the best part of healing comes in for, um, for people. They can have a healing moment in the theater, but it's also a way, I think, to kind of heal what's going on in our country right now that can happen through the arts because it's something that everybody can participate in that they enjoy that they love that they have to work together they have to listen to each other they have to respond to each other but that collaboration works in a lot of different ways artists have to collaborate with philanthropists and patrons um you can't just be an artist. You're just singing in your shower without that. You need other people that can kind of enable you. Just, for instance, being, being here today at Arts Advocacy Day, artists, we need Americans for the right, Arts absolutely. because they can tell us, they have the information for us, they have the numbers for us, they understand the senators, the congressmen. They understand how this works. They understand where to go, they who know to talk this to. Way better than we do. Exactly. Yes. And left to our own devices, we would be talking too long about something off topic. And left to their own devices, as you said, you need an artist to kind of add that too. So that's also another kind of collaboration. That's the salsa. The artist is the salsa. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you: If you could find, let's assume for a moment, you might have a young artist listening to this podcast, and here you are. You know, you've already you have career. In, in, in the world already, what would be the message to the, that young person listening that's an artist that, that loves their craft 
but may not have the influence capacity that you all have right now, but in a way they do, what would you tell them to do in their local community to help kind of advocate for the arts? You know, I just like uh, on that particular one, I, I will say that there's at least three organizations national that we've worked with. Rita's worked with one of them. Young Arts is the organization. And Scholastic um, is another. And an organization named Sphinx is another. And they are all about nurturing high school age spectacular young artists to be able to be everything that they can be as, as artists. But I will come in and talk to them about how to be an artist advocate. Kind of what uh, you do with the artists what here you with do. us today. And one of the things I've discovered is um, that they can be spectacularly effective. You see somebody who looks just like a, you know, a 12-year-old kid. I bring them to here, and um, they walk to the stage, and suddenly they change. And they do a spectacular violin piece or something like that. It, it, it hammers home the points that I'm trying to make. And um, that, that's something that we, we've done again and again, and it's quite effective. And the other thing I'll say, though, is that they need to be helped to set it up properly. Because I can take the same violinist and have that person do um, one piece, as I've done at other national associations, in front of the entire conference and introduce them in a certain way and talk about arts education, created this, play the piece and get a standing ovation. But often people will stick them in the corner and they just become background. Right. So it's the setup is important as well. I also, I think we, we haven't so far mentioned it, and I think it's important that we cover in some way the importance of reaching young children mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they're still young and that they're in their formative years. Zero to five, I think right. that's where the, the arts really, really can play a huge part. And that's where it's not because really of lack of funds. There's kids with great sensibilities and sensitivities and talent in, in very tiny towns. Mm-hmm. It's not just the big towns. Your point, too, there is a business community model that, it, that when you talk to the business community, that's zero to five, early education is the best investment you can get on the dollars you spend. And it, uh, again, you know, it's something I've mentioned several times today, but uh, there's something about helping children to understand what beauty is. Right. And it comes, it comes first in sound, yeah. by the way. That's the first thing. That's when you hear the tinkling of the music box and the little toy that rotates above their heads in the crib. They smile or cry. Exactly. No, <laughs> right? well, they mostly, they, no they mostly, or they're mollified yeah, if they're right. crying. So I think it's, it's a wonderful way to start a life for a child that has a creative side to it. Do you, do you think, and I know in the conversation tonight, we're getting close to wrapping up here, but in the, in the, in the conversations you've had with congressional people, you, you bring up a good point, Rita, and that is how connected education is to the arts. It's not just oh, artists yeah. showing up somewhere and doing a concert For and sure. so forth. It's, it's more than that. It's the, I mean, our, our son, he did not want to do piano. He loved math. So what we did was I put a little chart that changed the letters on the piano to numbers. Mm. And now he does music by ear. So he can hear a song and start playing it. Oh, that's wonderful. And that's, but he, his mind is math, a lot of mathematical, but he sat there and would refuse to do it. Then we put this little thing and he saw numbers. And he said, oh, you know, that seems interesting. Is there, do you feel like there's a, a, an understanding or 
an opportunity to kind of use that as part of the argument of why arts needs to be in our educational system because there is a direct connection to young people's capacity. Well, first of all, I just think, I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but I, I would like to say that I think uh, that kind of sensitivity is intuitive. Mm-hmm. It's just something that we tend to stifle in children. Here's a truck, go bang it on another truck. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think it's very intuitive. I think children love the sound of music. Right. I really do. And, and that's them. Oh, it, they get so engaged. So that's not difficult. It's a question of how they're brought up and what right. they're exposed to. And if they have the capacity in the schools for funding and exactly, It's hard to remember when it gets trained out of you that music is just basic expression. And because what, what you see out in, in the commercial world is one person making millions and millions of dollars and, and they're, they're allowed to sing if they're dressed the right way, if they've got a stylist, if they've got you know, product placement. And I, I think you know, teaching kids early, and to back to the point of the collaboration, you know, uh, uh, music, in particular, because that's my thing. You know, is about civilization, which is collaboration. It's about it's about uh, people doing what the other person can't do. So, if the one kid's good at math, and the other kid's good at sports, all these, it's all kind it's all a kind of uh, kind of expression, and that's been taken away from music because we had a good fifty years where where musicians could become millionaires. But that's probably going to be over soon. I mean, you know, that that is it's a different, different world. It's a different the world, which brings me back to your point. Uh, are you question about uh, what do you tell kids coming up and I see more and more becoming like music therapists music therapy is amazing mm-hmm. and it's it's science some of it's not as good as others but but it's uh, there's a lot of forms of it and I get in cars all the time with college kids who will pick me up at the airport and take me to a college show that I'm going to play I'm surprised by how many of them are motivated to be music therapists mm-hmm. and it helps mm-hmm. to have artists like us say that that's actually a first choice thing to do. That's not a cop out at all. Right. At the end of the day, what you want to do as a musician is you want to successfully express and that's the, the happiest thing you could do. You may get a, a commercial success out of that expression mm-hmm. or not. You right. may make money, you may not. But at the end of the day, you want to have expressed yourself and you want to have... have and, and, and I see so many music therapists and they, they go in and, and they, they, man, they get back so much function for autistic kids. One of my heroes is Megan Morrow who got back uh, Gabby Gifford, con- uh, Congresswoman uh, yep. Gifford's uh, uh, head injury. She wasn't speaking and Megan went in and in 15 minutes with music therapy, therapy because it's scientific ah. got her speech back you know and 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 who wouldn't who wouldn't aspire as a kid to do something like that with your life you know if you if you listen to gabby gifford's talk you can hear that she's singing yeah. right she's a, she's relearned how to talk through singing is what is what happened there it's and, and one of the things that i also say is that one of the very biggest areas we were talking before about um the multifaceted parts of the arts the arts and is what i like mm-hmm. to refer arts mm-hmm. and the economy Arts and healing, and one area that's really important to us right now is arts and healing of wounded returning warriors. Oh, yeah. right. And the same thing is the case where music therapy or, or dance therapy, theater therapy, visual art therapy has become one of the biggest go-to areas for healing for wounded military who won't seek out uh, right. psychotherapy or even mm-hmm, some kinds mm-hmm. of uh, um, physical therapy, but through, for example, the painting of a mask of themselves can help begin to heal. And the Smithsonian uh, or National Geographic did a whole cover story on that. So the art therapy world is uh, multi-useful on both the youth front, 
but also on some serious problems like that. And back to what Rita was saying about it's intuitive, is we have to go out and beat the pavement just to put the idea back into people's heads that they <laughs> had when intuitive. they were born. Yeah. Right. We right. knew it anyway. There's nothing that we've said that's articulate enough to do any better explaining than happened when you were born. Exactly. And you knew it then. Yeah, yeah. Art, art is something that I think, as, as you say, everybody is, is born with. It's like we're swimming in this ocean of art. We're fish in water and don't even realize that the water exists. And it's the same thing. And I think, if anything, it's more like a forgetting that happens because everybody's born with this wonderful open mind. That, that yeah, that's is what curious. breaks my heart. Yes. That's what breaks and my you, heart. Exactly, because you see that tamped down by just circumstances sometimes, by ignorance, by, exactly, by all kinds of different things. And sometimes you see it um, uh, encouraged. You know, Usually it's a, a parent that brings, or, or an uncle or an aunt that brings somebody to the symphony for the first time, the ballet for the first time, to a, a stage show for the first time. And that lights up something uh, inside, that thing that is just a part of us that we are all artists by nature anyway. And I yeah. gave me a thought, and I'll, I, I will put David on a spot for just a second, because I know he does uh, the, the work from Brownstein on the pro bono work and everything. And I just thought of a visual. A committee hearing at the Veterans uh, Committee with artists and a couple of veterans who have been impacted in a positive way. Because usually that's not the forum that you will be in, in front of a veterans committee. But that impact is an amazing... I mean, I was visualizing as you were all describing the music therapy, but also in a different way that is real meaning, especially in small communities, because over 25% of the veterans live in small communities and probably have no access to this kind of therapy. But yet, most senators... I'm just saying from where I served before, would have no knowledge of this. So, David, there's a task for you. Hey, well, I, I will take it. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea, and I think that it, it really could be impactful, especially given the venue being unique yeah. to the VA uh, It'd be different. It and would I think be. People would sure. see that in a different way. And artists, here you are engaged with veterans, not just support the arts, but it has real impact to their lives. And here then you have a veteran who says what happened. And why it changed. I mean, your example of it was perfect. Right. And so. to amplify the work that, that is being done on That's the creative right. forces front. Absolutely. I just wanted to add to that that um, that would be the innovation, taking it to the, the, the defense committee. But last week I had the honor of testifying uh, as the first, first witness for appropriations on, on House. And I had with me as the second witness a retired gunnery sergeant Marine perfect. who had been wounded and who came back. Um, and healed through l- learning uh, art therapy through glass making and glass blowing, and now he teaches it. This is why Bob is your CEO and president. He is on the You're cutting right. edge of everything. <laughs> let me let me close by just asking each one of you. If, if you're wherever you go next, if someone says, "What was that like? What did you think was the impact you had in Washington when you were there?" What was that? What would you say you felt that you were able to do? to impact maybe have been a legislator, may have been a staff member, or someone who would have influence over the outcome of funding of the NA, the National Endowment of the Arts or tax credits or other things that are important. I would Rita? say for my part that uh, if anything, I reminded these people that uh, the arts are worth fighting for in the sense that 
Uh, I have come to Washington along with the other artists to to speak to them and hope that I can uh, impart to them the importance of why I am here. But I, I think uh, I'm hopeful that they don't think that you're, we're just here to um, uh, glorify ourselves, but that here we're here to celebrate something that is great and fine and very big. Very good, Ben. Um, it, it's it's hard to know, but I know that I have to do it. You know, I think that's it's my responsibility, and I think it's the responsibility of other artists. Uh, we we have to come and cheerlead and do our part and show. And you know, sometimes it feels like a bit of a morale booster for you know even even kids that have just gotten into politics and are working as staffers and interns <laughs> and stuff. It feels like. You know, because I'm sure over the next 10 years or so, they're going to get a good, you know, it could be a jaded ride. And maybe maybe it helps to have artists come in and say, no, there's really a reason to do this. Fantastic. Stokes? Um, I, I think, you know, a, a lot of times people come here thinking or hoping they'll be able to change people's minds. And that, of course, is nearly impossible to do in any situation. Most times people have made up their minds uh, uh, for whatever reason they have. But um, getting back to the kind of the issue, I guess, of forgetting, I, I I, I think for me, it would be make me feel best to just know that I kind of reminded people of what it feels like to be an artist, what it felt like to be five years old and finger paint, what kind of effect that had on on that individual um, and kind of maybe uh, point their way to a flame that never has gone out in in their in their mind or or in their heart and um, and maybe help them to discover and or rediscover the importance of arts in, in their lives and in the lives now that they have uh, a, a great ability to influence because of their position. Bob? So I've definitely seen um, uh, minds and votes change because of the, um, the power of artists and, and, and just citizen advocacy. Uh, I've also seen what Stokes was just talking about, the, the, the value of reinforcement that people did the right thing. You know, it's easy to think that nobody cares, but when we come here, we know that people care. Um, I saw passion ignited with Rita's presentations last night at the Kennedy Center today, and that passion is both good for the people we're trying to get to and also the people we're trying to motivate to get to them. And then um, things, uh, Stokes a couple of years back came and helped us uh, here in Washington, and uh, we were standing outside with uh, several artists. Uh, uh, ben Vereen was one, Stokes was another. Uh, we weren't able to get into the office um, yet. We were waiting, and they started tap dancing. Ben Vereen and Stokes were showing each other moves, and a crowd gathered out there, including some other Congress people. And that's the that's the essence of lobbying. We oh, were out in the lobby, great story. and uh, the, the tap dancing allowed us to actually make an additional set of cases. And then we went in the office and. Did it again. There we go. It, it's, I'll, I'll maybe close on this thought, and that is it's, it's, uh, it's like a, it's a wonderful life movie. You never know what impact you'll have until later or if you're taken away out of the scene and what happens. And I think in a lot of ways what you each summarized here was a good example of why it's important to be always vigilant in advocacy for things that some people don't know the importance of. And what you're doing is, is doing that every day. And from our side of the equation, from the Brownstein side, the firm that helps here pro bono, we, we love doing it. And uh, David is the advocate of advocates for you, I can tell you that. Um, so again, it's just great to have this podcast. Thank you all for sharing and being Thank here you. today. Thank you. Thanks for helping spread the word. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.